grace and peace to you and welcome in the name of the Lord. You are welcome here if you are feeling the hopeful signs of spring or if you are needing them to come a little bit sooner. You are welcome here no matter who you love, what you look like, or where you live. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here at the United Congregational Church. We're so glad that you're with us. We hope that you will be able to join us for our Holy Week services. We'll be having a virtual Monday, Thursday service in the usual Tenebrae style with special readings and uh, music. We also will be having a Sunday morning Easter sunrise service on April 4th at the town landing. Um, you do need to register if you are going to come. I emailed out the registration on this week's email, but you can also find the registration on the homepage of our website. Please let us know. Uh, we do need to know how many people are coming so we can prepare for social distancing. Um, so thank you for that. And then of course on Easter, we will also have a virtual worship at 10 a.m. Uh, for those folks who do not want to be in person at the sunrise service. Thank you so much, and let us worship God. As we begin, I invite you to take a breath. Breathe in and know that God is present, that you are not alone. Breathe out all that stands between you and being fully here. Let us pray. As we tell your story, as we follow in your footsteps, lead us, O oh God, into Holy Week. As we walk with you toward the city, as we wait with you in the garden, lead us, O oh God, onto holy ground. As we journey toward death, as we hope for resurrection, Lead us, O oh God, into holy joy. All this we pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Psalm 118, chapters 1 through 2, and 19 through 29. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, 
Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this. The Lord needs it, and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Do you know how you get to be king in our world? You win. This isn't new. This has always been the way of our world, even in the Bible. Think of King David. He started off as a shepherd, but then he went up against Goliath, the giant. He outsmarted him and he took him down with a slingshot. After that, David just kept on winning in strategy and networking on the battlefield. And then he became king and conquered Jerusalem. He had to win. This is true of the biblical kings, and it was true of the pharaohs in Egypt, the Roman emperors in Jesus' day, and even today. If you look at any royal family in our time, they are kings because they or their ancestors won. Even in a democracy like ours, if you want to be politically in charge, you have to win. You have to win the political game of influence and fundraising and advertising. You have to win at public perception, one way or another. In order to land on a throne or in the various seats of power in our world, you have to win. And so even though Jesus has told his disciples again and again and again that he's not about that type of winning, not about that kind of power, even though Jesus has, as a colleague of mine put it, spent his entire ministry arduously redefining kingship, power, and authority, even though Jesus rejects the world's systems of domination, refuses to use violence, and radically rejects the dominant system of empire, even though he redefines kingship as servanthood and authority as humble self-gift, even though Jesus has led with his, his example of compassion, sacrifice, and love for others. Even so, when Jesus enters Jerusalem, the disciples just can't help themselves. They know too well how the world works. They know that victory only comes at the expense of others, and that violence is always the way to claim power. After all, remember, they have lived under Roman occupation. They know exactly what it took for the Romans to win and for their people to lose. And frankly, they are tired of losing. And remember, Jesus does not enter Jerusalem on any old day. He enters Jerusalem on the festival of Passover. 
As we discussed last week, the high, this high holy day of Passover brought thousands of faithful Jewish pilgrims from near and far to the holy temple in Jerusalem to celebrate. And what were they celebrating? The Exodus, their deliverance, when God freed them from Egypt, when their ancestors crossed the Red Sea out of slavery into freedom. The Passover feast involves a ceremonial retelling of how God thwarted the greatest military power of that day, toppled the Egyptian army, and set the Hebrew free from the oppressive and violent rule of Pharaoh, the greatest king of his time. So on that first Palm Sunday, the crowds of faithful pilgrims who traveled to Jerusalem, they were tired of living under Roman occupation tired of losing. Some had heard of Jesus's healings and miracles, and many began to hope that he could be the Messiah, the anointed one, the long-awaited king who would come to liberate the people, liberate them from the oppressive military forces of their day, the Roman Empire. This is why the people come out in droves, waving palms and laying their cloaks on the road for Jesus like he is a king. It's because palms are a symbol of victory. In fact, palms are the ancient world's universal sign of triumph. And the crowds are waving them because they are hoping that Jesus will be their conquering hero. When the crowds yell, Hosanna, which literally means in Hebrew, save us, God, we beg you. They are asking for political saving, for a military victory. They are asking for freedom from the empire. And when they call out to Jesus, blessed is the king of Israel, they understandably assume that Jesus must become king the way that anyone becomes king in our world, by winning. I believe every one of us would have wanted the same, would have hoped for it. Even if we had been there when Jesus explained over and over that his power was not like the power of the world, that violence was not his way, that instead of conquering the Romans, he must in fact die at their hands. I believe we would have grabbed hold of those palm fronds and waved them with all our might, praying that Jesus might be king in the way that made sense to us. That would have been maybe a little easier to stomach. That would have legitimized us in the eyes of the world and made us feel proud. Proud to say, yeah, we are with Jesus, the one who went up against Caesar and won. That would have been an easier story to tell. Because let's face it, winning the power game feels good. At least it feels good for a time because those kinds of wins never last forever, and they always come at a cost. Because if you have winners, you have to have losers, at least in the world as we know it. So our God had other ideas about what kind of win our world needed. Our God had other ideas about what kind of saving humankind needed. Winning in the eyes of our God was not about defeating the Romans, it was so much more than that. It was about defeating darkness, 
It was about taking up the brokenness inside every heart, taking on every rift in a relationship, every abuse, every violence, every sin, every flaw, every sickness, every sorrow, every grief, catching them up in his arms and nailing them to the cross, bearing up every suffering of the world in his flesh and saying, the wind that you need is not going to come from more power, more violence, more money, or more political victory. The win you need, the saving you need, will only come from the extraordinary love of your God. Jesus shows us that God can bear our suffering, that God can heal our wounds in a way that we cannot, that God can take on our worst and by love make us new again, whole again, alive again. When we come to what seems to be the end of the story and Jesus is on the cross, mocked, betrayed, broken, we like the crowds want to turn away because we know just as well as they do that this is not what winning looks like. This is not triumphant. This is not palms and banners waving. This is not how it's supposed to go for a king. This is not what a Messiah is supposed to look like. The sign that hung above Jesus's head on the cross bestowed him with the title of King of the Jews was a mockery, an embarrassment. The Romans are taunting Jesus and all his would-be disciples. It is only once you get to the other side of Easter that you see the ironic truth of that sign. Jesus is king, not because he takes on Rome, nothing so small as that, but because he takes on death itself, violence itself, despair itself, darkness itself. Jesus is the longed for king from the Hebrew scriptures because his power ultimately proves stronger than any worldly power. It is God's power of light and love and life which always wins the day in the end and which doesn't leave any losers. And that is why we still call Jesus King and Lord, King of love, Prince of peace, Lord of us all. This is why we gather on Palm Sunday and we wave our palms, the symbol of victory and triumph, even though Jesus died on a cross at the hands of the Roman Empire. We wave these palms because we are a post-resurrection people. So we know that our sad and broken systems of winning and losing are not the game that our God is playing. We wave the palms not because our side somehow won and someone else's side lost, but because God's love won for all of us. We wave these palms because now we know that God's love wins every time. Alleluia. Amen.
let us pray. God of every goodness and mercy, morning by morning creation's voices join in praising you. The forests form a festal procession. The heavens reflect your glory's light. We raise our songs of thanksgiving to you for every blessing with which you have graced us. God, you are the healing we long for, and we ask that you bring your healing presence to all who suffer in mind, body, or spirit, and all who care for them. Especially this day, God, we pray for Thomas, Lisa, Kate, Linda, Lori, Karen, Kay, Dennis, Megan, Miles, Lee, Archie, and Mary Lee. God, you are our comfort and our peace. Draw near today to all who are grieving. We pray for all who are in crisis, all who are suffering from trauma, fear, and loss. We pray especially today for all those who have been affected by the most recent shooting in Colorado. We pray for an end to violence. Spur all of our hearts to greater compassion and guide our leaders to work for equity, justice, and peace for those who are most vulnerable. God, lead us from fear to faith, from death to life, from falsehood to truth, lead us from despair to hope, from division to unity. Let peace fill our hearts, our world, and all of your creation. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about our church, we invite you to connect with us on our website www.ucclittlecompton.org If you'd like to support our ministries, you can find a link to our donation page in the show notes for this episode. We also invite you to share this podcast or leave us a rating or review to help others find us. Our virtual worship team is the Reverend Rebecca Floyd Marshall, Senior Minister, Michael Bauman, Piano and Organ, Lily Clark, Project Manager, Cam Clark, Video Production, Alex Floyd Marshall, audio engineer, and Charlie Thomas, readings coordinator. The horn and string music you hear is performed by the Thomas family. Special thanks this week to Debbie Kelchner, who joined the Thomas family on flute. In our church, it is our tradition to end every service with this simple blessing. God be with you till we meet again. By God's counsels, guide uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. Go in peace.